I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Daniel Rothman, who is a professor of geophysics in the Department of Earth, Atmospheric, and Planetary Sciences at MIT, and also co-founder and co-director of MIT's Lorentz Center. And we're talking about research that Dan's done, pretty exciting research, actually, uh, tracing the causes of a, a huge extinction. So, uh, Dan, can you tell us about it? Yes. So, by way of background, geologists know that during the uh, last 540 million years, that is the, the extent of, in the geologic record of complex life of multicellular organisms, geologists tend to classify extinctions as the biggest and then others. And the biggest are sometimes referred to as, as mass extinctions. And there are five great ones, five great mass extinctions. And among those five, the biggest of them all, or the, the most severe, is widely thought to be the, the extinction that occurred at the end of the Permian period and just before the Triassic, known, sometimes known as the Permian-Triassic extinction or the end Permian extinction. It's the most severe, but perhaps not the most well-known. The most well-known is surely the one at the end of the Cretaceous, and that's the one that resulted in the extinction of the dinosaurs. The extinction at the end of the Permian is thought to have resulted in the, the extinction of 95% of the extant species at the time. And its cause uh, remains a mystery. While the case of the dinosaurs is often associated with an impact of an extraterrestrial object, all other mass extinctions have not been able to be associated with such impacts. And so it, it's basically an open question um, why they occur. And in recent years, there has been a, a clear association between many of the great extinctions, the mass extinctions, and um, severe volcanism. Volcanism so severe, for example, that at the time of the Permian, there's roughly a million cubic kilometers of uh, magmatic deposits that now cover a large part of Siberia as a result of the volcanism, which lasted at least hundreds of thousands of years, if not more. The extinction itself uh, may have occurred over a period as short, in terms of ge geological time, as short as 12,000 years. So that, that's the, the latest results coming out of the science of geochronology, which um, dates the extent of these things. Now, there is a clear temporal association between the massive volcanism and the extinction. However, in, in addition, our scientists um, collect chemical signatures of environmental change. And the most widespread and most studied of these chemical signatures is the uh, isotopic composition of, of carbon in rocks. That is the fraction of carbon that's associated with carbon-13 as opposed to carbon-12, both of which are stable and do not decay radioactively. And when the changes in those records are analyzed, what one finds is that it's very difficult quantitatively to associate the amount of change in, in the carbon cycle, that is a change in the way that the Earth processed its carbon at the time, with any reasonable expectation for the amount of CO2 that might have come out, the carbon dioxide coming out of volcanoes at the time of the extinction. So there's a temporal association with volcanism, but it's hard to reconcile it quantitatively with the environmental signatures at the time. And the main environmental signature that we have is that there seems to have been a very large amount of carbon dioxide that was basically injected into the oceans and the atmosphere. And so 
what caused that is is to this day mysterious and our work basically acts to try to explain what could have been responsible for the um, large increase in carbon dioxide or the large changes in the carbon cycle at the time of the extinction, which are likely associated with the extinction itself. Now, I can go on forever with this, and I'd just like to know if you have any questions at this point or if you'd like me to continue. Oh, sure, yeah. You don't have to go on for 12,000 years geologically. <laughs> but, uh... So the question is, is that what might have happened? And so the, the first thing we did was to subject the isotopic records themselves, that is, the, the clearest signals of environmental change. We, we looked at them fairly carefully, and what we found was that there is a certain characteristic way in which the isotopic compositions of carbon change, and that characteristic way can then be expressed in physical terms as a flux of carbon into the oceans and atmosphere that is increasing faster than exponentially. So I'll pause now and ask, well, why might that matter? Well, an exponential increase itself would be interesting, and it would suggest a kind of internal instability in the system specifically a linear instability, one which shows sort of going like, you know, dx dt proportional to x, right? Now, the fact that it's super exponential would mean that that simple equation, which I, I just described verbally, would instead be nonlinear. And so it would be perhaps, for example, like dx dt goes like x squared. And so essentially it's a clue that whatever was disturbing the system was disturbing it nonlinearly. Now, in and of itself, that's perhaps not a huge surprise because, you know, the, the Earth, if you wish, is about as complex a system as, as one might imagine, and it would probably be bigger news if it was a linear system, right? But on, on the other hand, the fact that it's nonlinear has, has some practical importance for the present discussion. It means that we can use that as a kind of constraint to uh, sort out good hypotheses from bad hypotheses. So to make a longish story short, there's a whole bunch of hypotheses that one can list on the table, but dominant among them being how you know, massive volcanism might work and the fact that it might result from overpressurization beneath the crust and the way various volcanic conduits might be essentially spontaneously formed to allow the magma to escape the interior of the earth. And in that process, what you have is a, is a process of overpressurization, which um, basically relaxes to something which is um, less overpressurized. And, and in such instances, and in many others, you have a kind of linear relaxation in which something, uh, there's a burst, and the burst is initially rapid, but it tends to relax. Uh, what we have instead is something which is slowly increasing and then increases faster and then increases faster and increases so fast that if it were to go on for a long period, it would reach a singularity or an infinity in a finite time. So, of course, um, the real system can't do that, but it has the mathematical shape consistent with such a nonlinear expression. So, before I get too far off on a tangent here, the result of this is that 
we can rule out some conventional ideas, and specifically the overpressurization associated with the volcanism, which was already suspicious due to the arithmetic arguments I spoke about a moment ago, and we can look for other things. And specifically, we started to focus on the possibility of a disturbance within the microbial biosphere. And the reason, that may seem like a almost a non sequitur, but the reason is is that biological populations contain within them numerous mechanisms by which populations may start increasing nonlinearly, that is, um, engage in a kind of nonlinear population dynamics. And our specific hypothesis, which was basically a shot in the dark, was that a new metabolic pathway might have evolved in the carbon cycle, in the, in, the, in the microbial processing of the trital carbon, which suddenly made recalcitrant or difficult to metabolize detritus much more easy to metabolize. And so with such a hypothesis in mind, actually I, I went to two of my colleagues in MIT Eric Alm is a professor in biological engineering, and um, Greg Fournier, who then was a postdoc but is now an assistant professor in our department here at MIT, Earth Atmospheric and Planetary Sciences, and suggested that this might be a possibility. And I asked them, you know, these um, scientists are experts in microbial evolution and specifically in the reconstruction of the various branch points at which um, various types of microbes evolved. And I asked him whether um, there were any interesting developments at roughly the time of the Permian extinction, which, by the way, I don't believe I dated it before. It's, it's about 250 million years ago. And so after a little bit of give and take, it became clear that there was an interesting case, and, and that had to do with the evolution of a microbe known as methanosarcina. Methanosarcina is a uh, microbe that makes methane from a product of fermentation known as acetate. And it's got a particularly interesting pathway in, in that it's more efficient at doing this than the other methanogens that existed at the time. So had there been a supply of organic carbon available for methanosarcina to metabolize, it would have had some advantages. Sorry to interrupt, Dan. We'll take a little break here. And in part two, Dan will continue talking about this fascinating story uh, where he's p trying to pinpoint the cause of such a massive die-off. And it looks like this microorganism, methanosarcina, an organism that produces methane, is the culprit.